half of this is going to be cream. Jose takes his coffee black, black. like a real coffee lover. <laughs> and I love mine as the dude from Pulp Fiction says, lots of sugar and cream. That's right. Okay, so I'll do a countdown. One, two, three. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a new podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we discuss all the topics that you were told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Jose. And I'm Joel. And this week, we will be talking about race. But first, let's talk about what we have on tap. Actually, this week we're drinking coffee, so it should really be called Conversation on Brew. Yeah. What do we got going here, Joel? In fact, I I can't wait to compare our speaking patterns and the lack of slurring and Uh see if it's a thing, if we're much more distinct. This this morning we're doing it in the morning because oh, yes. we couldn't fit it in. We are drinking donut shop <laughs> coffee from the Keurig cups. Oh, I love those. <laughs> Chris is bringing us out a uh, a brew. Probably we have all kinds of uh, Hawaiian Kona coffee from our auntie from Hawaii. She sends it over all the time, so that's what we'll be drinking next. And what about coffee, man? I'm an I'm an addict. I have to say. So I'll drink. Yeah. I used to drink a lot of coffee. So I, my, my modus operandi was to go to Denny's, study my um, for tests, write essays, whatever I needed to do for college. But that's back when I used to smoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would I would go outside and smoke my cigarette. I have I'd have coffee and then I'd come, but all night. Your healthy years. My healthy years, right? <laughs> and then I quit smoking. But I still drink a lot of coffee, but not as much now. I lim- limit myself usually to you know, two or three cups a day. I, I am so pissed at myself because. I only started drinking coffee about two years ago mm. because I used to get too jittery. You know how everyone just is affected by ca- caffeine? Right. Differently? I was about to say alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I guess now as I'm getting sluggier as an old man, I, I just love the effects of caffeine. I've always loved. What about waking up? Every day yeah. to the smell of caffeine. Mm-hmm. That is one of the things in life that is just. Why is that not in that great song, Sound of Music? What is that? Favorite things. <laughs> Waking up to the smell of coffee. Oh man, it's just awesome. Well, do you remember that commercial? The best part of waking uh, up. What? Folders, Folders. The worst coffee in the world, according to something. I'm not a snob at all. I drink it. Folders in your cup. Right. Folders. <laughs> Isn't that instant? What is instant uh, coffee? No, I, I think it Does is. Does anyone even drink well, it I think anymore? it used to be instant, but no, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I think, it, I think now it's instant, but it used to be brewed, and I don't know. What if it's awesome? It probably is. But now I drink K-Cups. I have my Keurig. I drink my K-Cups. Yeah. We could talk about the environmental costs of K-Cups, and hopefully somebody <laughs> figures that one out because that does kind of suck. But Why can't they invent some kind of uh, biodegradable form of plastic? Yeah. That's what they, they We were drinking this K-Cup that had sort of a, a paper filter on the uh, bottom instead of a plastic, but I think the top was still plastic. I can't remember. Uh, it didn't make us feel perfectly better, but I don't know. Um, some people think that, um, dark coffee has got more caffeine. My cousin told me this, uh, than, um, light coffee. And then other people say, oh no, no, it's actually the roasting of dark coffee gets rid of the caffeine and it's actually the light coffee that has more caffeine. And so I actually looked that up and I think the science is, is out still on this. Hmm. And, and most studies show that they actually, the, the, ro- the darkness, which is the roasting and the lightness of coffee doesn't affect caffeine at all. So that is kind of a misconception. It's kind of an interesting one. Right. So so it's darker because it's been roasted longer? Yeah. So it's kind of roasted out. That's what, the case, caffeine? That's what I was told, but it's uh-huh. not true. 
Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of one of those myths that everyone just sort of believes. Right. And, and I think because sometimes darker coffee is a little bit more bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, which I love. Yeah. That, that people assume that that goes along with caffeine, but not the case. Interesting. Cheers. Let's do cheers. Uh, you don't get the clink that you do with alcohol on a coffee mug. The best part of waking up is folders in your cup. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, uh, Jose and I each share one thing that we are passionate about for two minutes, though we tend to be a bit loquacious. So that is in a strict time limit. This week, I'm going to discuss... This cool connection. Well, let me just ask our listeners. I was about to say, you, um, what African island has a lingual connection to, of all places, Hawaii and Polynesia? Do you know this? I, I do not. It's Madagascar. What? For whatever reason, even though Madagascar is so much closer to Africa, uh-huh. it was colonized by the Malagasy people or the Bornean people. And, and that's the same language group. Um, as Hawaii and Polynesia and, and Micronesia and Melanesia. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, for instance, there's several numbers that are super close in the, mm-hmm. the language of Madagascar. is called, I think it's pronounced Malagasy. And, um, and some of the numbers, for instance, um, are very similar. Wow. And, and a lot of the words are very similar. So, so interesting. Malaga- or Madagascar and Hawaii have a connection. In fact, here's another interesting thing about that. Like, my, um, my son is, um, is dating a real awesome Filipino girl. And I found out that um, the number five in Hawaii is the same as the um, the Filipino word. I think it's Tagalog that she speaks, yeah. um, number five, because that's the same language group. So I, one day I said, hey, what's the number five in, in Tagalog? And she said, Lima. And it's the same as Hawaiian. And there's this huge group of, of islands in the Pacific that have five wow. Lima. How do they all? How do their language kind of evolve to that? Because, like, the original people started in um, Southeast Asia, the Indonesia right. and Bali, and and um, then they just uh, sailed outward from there. They sail, sailed to um, westward to Madagascar and colonized that. That's the only real westward expansion. But then they, of course, sailed um, west and south yeah, to Polynesia and brought their language with them. Gosh, language is so that's freaking crazy. fascinating. I love it. It's, we could go on and about this. I was going to ask you about so that movie Moana. Oh, yeah. It's interesting because in that movie she wants to travel. She wants to explore and, and her family kind of keeps her contained and, or tries to anyway. Yeah. But is that, that kind of goes against the grain I think, right? Of, uh, of that Polynesian or island well, her, her attitude was super like Polynesian and that, uh-huh. that's, that was one of the themes of the movie is just, yeah, let's go explore just like the Polynesians right. and her family what was the reason they didn't want her to? But they were really anti-Polynesian. That was that's yeah. what's so cool about Polynesians, man. They completely, I mean, can you imagine the courage it took to right. just go out with absolutely no evidence that anything's going to be out there just in the hope that you're going to find, find especially the Hawaiians. That is so far from the Marquesan Islands that uh-huh. they came from originally and then Tahiti, Tahiti later. That What kind of balls it took for them to get there. So Moana was totally right in line with Polynesia, but, uh-huh. but her parents weren't. That's, I just think it's, that's how the language or yeah. the culture kind of spreads. Yeah, in fact. I mean, traveling. And, yeah. Hawaiian language, very similar to, to Tahitian and, and all the Polynesian language. That's cool. Yep. So what can I say except you're welcome? 
All right, so for my bread talk this week, I'm going to kind of tackle the issue of thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Which is has become more and more controversial. So I've been thinking about this, and then I really started feeling moved to, to discuss this for my Fred Talk after Kevin Smith, a week or so ago, had a heart attack. And um, several people sent supportive tweets and messages and whatnot. And one of them was Chris Pratt, who plays Star-Lord in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And um, he was also a character on that show, Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. He sent out a tweet sending Kevin Smith his thoughts and prayers. And you would not believe the backlash he got on Twitter. People were just saying, how dare you? That's useless. Why would you say such a thing? That's, you know, those are empty, meaningless words. And even Kevin Smith had to come out. What in the world is wrong with people? You can't say thoughts my and thoughts and prayers are with you. So even Kevin Smith said, hey, he's, he's saying something nice, guys. Come on. Why would you create this big old storm over that. Well, I think it's because in our society we've become so um, we have forgotten the meaning of thoughts and prayers. It's become an excuse. It's become a way of giving a sense of false compassion. Like, I'm thinking about you. I'm going to pray for you. But then it doesn't go anywhere. And that's especially true now that we're dealing with all the school shootings, mass shootings. These politicians who are in the pockets of the NRA Mm -hmm. will tweet out thoughts and prayers, but then they don't actually do anything. Right, right. And I think it's become... A cliche. It's become synonymous with lack of action. Right. But doesn't mean that you can't use the phrase. I mean, come right. on, people. But I, th- I think that it actually goes to the heart of our disconnect from who God is, number one, and number two, what prayer is. So I kind of want to talk about that just real quick because I don't want to spend, <laughs> I could spend a whole hour on this. But basically, there is this idea that, well, when you pray to God, he's going to change, right? You have to convince God to change. To change things. To change things. Okay. But that's really more of a pagan way of looking at God, right? That the gods had to be appeased. You had to satisfy the gods. Well, God doesn't change. God right. knows all from beginning to end, right? He's the beginning and end. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He is the ground of existence itself. He's immutable, right? Because God is love. God is perfect. Right. So you don't have to pray to God to convince him in anything. Okay. Right? He doesn't need to be convinced. So the first part is God doesn't change. He is who he is for all time. The second part is people don't know what prayer is. So prayer, number one, first of all, you want to build a relationship with God. Like you have kids, right? Yeah. You want to hear from your, you you know your kids love you, but you would like to hear from it from time to time. And you would also like to have a conversation and to be in touch with your kids, right? Right. So if they didn't, I would, I would actually personally travel to where they are and wring their necks. Wring their neck. Well, that's how God is. He wants to hear from you. He wants to know like how you're doing, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is when we pray to God, really God already knows what we're going to ask. And God knows more than we do what's best for us, mm-hmm. right? He knows our hearts better than we do. Mm-hmm. So God in this mysterious way who knows everything from beginning to end has already included in his work, our prayers. Mm-hmm. He's, it's like, he's waiting for us to ask, mm-hmm. right? He could make the world perfect, mm-hmm. right? But what he's doing is he's inviting us into the work of making the world a better place. So, like, when you're, let's say you, you built your deck out here. You could have built the deck yourself, right? Right. <laughs> Basically. But I'm sure you asked your kids to help you. Oh, heck yeah. They did a ton. Right. So your kids help you. You're inviting them into the work of building something. Right. And they right. get the satisfaction of seeing it there and knowing they had a hand in it. They had a hand in it. Yeah, absolutely. But to say that prayer, then, is to change God's mind means you're not understanding what prayer is. So this goes to the second part. When we pray, we should, when we pray authentically, rather, it's more about conforming ourselves to God's will rather than 
conforming God to our will. Mm. So, right, thy will be done yeah. right, on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Right? So it's about what what is God's will and how am I getting online with what his will is? You are praying to conform yourself to God's will. So you're, it's kind of this. Yeah. You're asking God to, to change our hearts and, and minds to his, more to his way of More to his way of okay. thinking. Right. And so when you conform yourself to his will, that doesn't mean you just kind of kick back and relax. So when someone says, um, so when a politician tweets out, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you, right? Well, if you're really thinking about me, if you're really praying for me, then you would get in line with God's will. And God's will is that it's not okay for people to be killed. You're right. Right? So then you are you for you to stand back and do nothing, to not even try to do, to do anything about, you know, the horrific shootings at schools and around the country. Right. So authentic prayer then leads to action. Mm. So if you're authentically sending your thoughts and you're sending your prayers, then that will lead you to action. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers should not lead you to inaction. Oh, so if good. you're praying to God, asking him for his help, or you're praying to God and you're trying to come into line with his, his will, then you're going to do something about gun control, especially if you're a politician mm-hmm. or if you're a student or you know, you're a citizen. You're going to do something. You're not just going to stand back and go, well, I already tweeted out or I put on Facebook thoughts and prayers, so I'm done. Yeah, very interesting. As a skeptic, I have to ask you, where does this leave? I mean, we always talk from a very Christian-centric viewpoint, standpoint. Right. Where does this leave all? I mean, we are only, Christians are what, only one-fourth, one-third of the, and many Christians are quasi-Christians at that, according to um, very Orthodox Christians. Where does it leave all the non-Christians out there? Like when we say, um you have to pray this way, or you have to do this, you have to do that. What about them? That's actually a really interesting subject. Um, and I invite people who are listening to study this further. So, so for example, Pope Francis recently, like in the last year, he went to a mosque and he prayed yeah. with an imam. Uh, and that dude, kind of love it. ruffled some people's feathers. Heck yeah. Of course but it did what does Allah mean? Allah means God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we're all praying. If you, if you pray to God, you are praying to God. It's not like God's like, well, you know, you're calling me Allah in your prayers, mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm not listening to you. Yeah. He hears everyone's prayers. Yeah. And it's, it's like a child coming up to you, and they're offering you this jacked-up flower, right? Or they draw a little picture for you, and it's not very good. Yeah. Right? You're still going to say, oh, this is beautiful. Thank yeah. you. And you're going to put it on your counts. Right. So it, I think Christians can be, Christians can be a little tribal in that sense. Mm-hmm. All, all, that's one horrible things about any kind of club, like religion is a club. Um, we are insular. I totally took us off track, but I, I I just love, um, discussing that because that's what I think about so much when it comes to religion. All right, so this week, Joel and I are going to tackle the very controversial subject. Race. Race. (laughs) Which is, sadly, a no-go topic for too many people. Keep on going. The amazing race. Yeah. But, um, no, that's... So race is going to be the topic we're going to tackle today. And uh, it's... I think we're looking at kind of a minefield here ahead of us. Yeah. I'm not afraid. I'm just going to speak what I feel like is the truth and not worry about... One thing that we can't let 
uh, or stop us from talking about race is people who mm-hmm. might call us racist, which happens way too often. Right. There are definitely racist ideas and people out there, but it, the term gets thrown around so much right. that it's starting to lose its power, and people don't use the word unless it's real, and it is mm-hmm. real, but please, people, don't use it unless it's real. So race, very prickly topic. So before we, we even start, we should probably... Define our terms. So race refers to biologically um, or genetically similar traits within a group of people, such as skin color, hair, body type, right? So right. That's race. Ethnicity refers to the culture of a given people in a geographic region. So that might be like their customs, their traditions, their language, their religion, right? right. Their practices. Right. So those are two distinct things. And I think those sometimes get conflated. Yeah, they definitely do. Now, this idea that race is a cultural construct. Mm-hmm. Can, have you studied that idea much? I, I'm sad to say I, I haven't really delved into it much, but I don't know. I, I'm a skeptic because, for instance, doctors use race. Uh-huh. Um, for instance, for African Americans who are more likely to have sickle cell anemia. And there's all kinds of actual um, uh, maladies that are that go along with either this um, Culturally, this mm-hmm. cultural construct of race or this real thing that is race? Right. What do you think? Is it a construct or not? I've heard that too, and I don't agree that it's a construct because race isn't... Okay, let me back up. The people who make that accusation that it's a construct will say, well, you're only noticing the similarities within a group of people because of your social construct. You're only noticing that they're black, that their, their melatonin levels are different than yours, mm-hmm. right? Because you have a, maybe a tribal sense or you have like a sense of superiority or what have you. Mm-hmm. So you notice those differences because of your social constructs. Yeah. But I, I don't buy that. I don't either. You can I look at someone part. and that's, it's not a social construct to notice that their skin is darker than yours or lighter than yours yeah. or their hair is different than yours. Yeah. That's not a social construct. That's just using your observation. Yeah. It's obvious. But I, I definitely want to look into that further because I must admit I haven't studied that as much as I should. Yeah, I haven't either, but that's just my... That's just my what is your race, thing. by the way? Uh, uh, How would you characterize yourself? I'm, I'm offended that you would ask me that. No, I'm <laughs> and I have to stop you there, because, and we've talked about this. I come from Hawaii, where it's the most multicultural um, state in the Union. It's just everybody in Hawaii is so open about race that if you went up to somebody, even that you barely knew, and say, hey, what you? That's how they say it in, in Pidgin. That means, what race are you? If you didn't know, somebody did that to you in Hawaii. Now you know. So what race are you? Because in Hawaii, it means things to people, and I think it totally means things. And it's not something to be offended about and or to be defensive about. Right. So what you? <laughs> I Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of a mutt, I guess. So my father is Mexican. He came from Michoacan, right? And he actually um, immigrated here illegally. So I'm what Trump might call an anchor baby, right? <laughs> right? So um, this just shows how vari- variable anchor babies and and uh, immigrants are. Anybody who thinks they have a, a handle on what an immigrant is has no clue, none whatsoever. So my dad, yeah, he immigrated here illegally, worked kind of uh, in the fields, worked in um, hotel industry, whatever, and made his way to Santa Maria. And met my mother, my mother, um, my mother is deaf and she was working in a hotel through this program in high school. And there she met my dad. Right and of course they're working in a hotel. Yeah, a lot of beds there. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> and a short time later I was born. 
So on my dad's side, Mexican. Oh, my mother's side, I've got, well, I have Irish, Chumash, and then her dad was from Oklahoma, so it's Oki, whatever that is, Would there with be, Cherokee. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's probably Cherokee. some. So you are original American, as more so than all these xenophobes. I would agree. Yeah, I'm my, serious. My people were here. Yeah. So that's my, that's my um, background. And I, I have this weird thing where I'm, I don't identify with any particular ethnicity. And so I'm always confused when I get to that point where I get to check off one of the boxes because I'm really more so assimilated into American culture that I don't have any real strong affiliation or feelings toward any of my, I guess, racial um, heritages, plural. But it, I still, it still comes with the baggage, though. So I wrote an article where I wrote a letter to the editor in our newspaper, and my name is, you know, very Mexican sounding. Mm-hmm. And they posted the editorial in the newspaper and then also online. I had so many people responding to me. Well, you're just a Mexican. Go back to Mexico. I'm like, nah. dude, I've never been to Mexico. Yeah. I don't I even really speak Spanish. As, yeah, as, um, I'm like a coconut. Yeah. I don't want you. I'm glad you said it. Uh, <laughs> have you ever been discriminated besides that? Just uh, person to person? Because um, I don't think you look really Mexican, but I've because had those somebody's moments. just super. What was it mm-hmm. like? Do you remember any specifically? Or? So, like, I've been stopped several times walking mm-hmm. in high school in particular. Mm-hmm. I looked, I don't, know, I don't know if I was darker then. I think yeah. I spent a lot of time indoors now as a teacher. But I used to be pretty tan. Yeah. But really not so much. Yeah. No, I haven't had an experience. But enough so that you know it happens. Yeah. Like, we have this thing in our neighborhood, like a lot of people do now. Days called Next Door, and it's an app where you keep watch of your um, neighborhood, and you sort of let everyone know what's going on as far as were you robbed or was your car broken into. And there have been several posts about, and they literally some a, a man with a hood, some, uh, a Hispanic man, to try to make it sound as walking down the street, and then they would put the word suspicious, suspicious, and it's just like what. It's, that is a real thing, and it's just so, so sad that that's happening nowadays. Well, minorities in hoods are scary. Yeah, there's something about the hood that scares people. It's weird. So what's you, Joel? What's you? I am 75% German and 25% English. My mom just recently got one of those DNA deals from um, Ancestry.com oh, cool. and uh, found out that maybe some of her... Her English was uh, was Scandinavian. She came out oh. like twenty five percent. But of course, how did you do it? Because mm-hmm. there's all this Viking incursions into all of Europe, right? True. Even Italy, I think, and stuff like that. So I don't know. Races for Europeans were just all mixed up, and of course, we mix into North Africans, especially in the yeah. Iberian uh, Peninsula. And people are always so surprised when they get one of these um, ancestry.com or whatever twenty three and Me tests back. And they're, oh man, cool! I'm I'm African, you right. know, three percent African. Well, of course. Or I'm 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 Jewish, right? I always knew I was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, well, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't. First of all, go on what your what your parents have always told you because it goes way back before they remember. Right. And by what you look like, and in that sense, race is a construct. It's not really. It is to a certain extent, but what you look like, ah, it's too. It's way too hard. Yeah. So I've always wanted to do that. So I could narrow down specifically what my racial heritage is. 
But my brother-in-law did it. It's interesting because their family, at least on the maternal side, traces their roots back to Mexico and then from Mexico back to Spain, Valencia, Spain. And so when they got their, when my brother-in-law got back his DNA results from Ancestry.com, we do not get any money from Ancestry.com, by the way. But when he got, when he got that, <laughs> when he got the results back, yeah, there was a small, like maybe like three to 5% from Africa. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, he was confused. And I was like, well, think about it. If you have family from Spain, yeah, right. You've got those Moors, yeah, right. Absolutely. The, the African influence there. Yep. So that makes sense. Yeah, no doubt. It's all I think it's fun. I, I, one thing I want to say about race is it's to me and for people who love the variety of races and cultures in the world, uh-huh. it's just fun. I just love. There's no topic that I would rather talk about than race, which is crazy in our world. And we both mm-hmm. have had such awesome talks about race, and I just think it's fun. But then you encounter racism, and racism is that irrational hatred or fear of another person based on just purely superficial appearances. Yeah. And it's sad, but it might not be as irrational as as we all think. Um, I've been reading articles, uh, and most people, educated people, have known this more so than me, but I'm late to the game. And when we were tribal, being racist helped you survive. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's ingrained in us. When we were tribal, way back when, if we um, were looked askance at the other tribe, it helped our own tribe to survive. Right, right? because they were all out to get each other, probably. And um, so, kind of makes you realize that we have to overcome our nature, maybe right, a little right. bit when when we're talking about race. We also, I think, when it comes to race, we have to embrace. And for some people, this is so hard, but for other people, it's really easy. And I'm so glad because I think I grew up in Hawaii. I, I know this of you. You have to embrace strangeness, no, you do. and weirdness because other cultures and race do weird things to you and strange. You can either say that's freaking awful. Right. Or that's freaking cool, right? Exactly. I, I just, I, I really love all these strange cultural practices and just the strangeness of other people's looks. Their skin mm-hmm. color is beautiful. Their, their, their body features are neat and that we are all looking the same mm-hmm. people. We all have to embrace that, love that. That's fun. But you mentioned the tribalism and you listen to these alt-right people like Richard Spencer or you listen to racists like David Duke, these white supremacists, they actually rely on that argument. They rely on the tribalist argument. Yeah. So, for example, Richard Spencer or David Duke will say something to the effect of, well, it's in our nature to be tribal. And yeah. so as white people, of course, we want to protect ourselves. And, and so they attack diversity. They attack multiculturalism. Yeah. And they're so protective. And that's why I keep using Richard Spencer and David Duke because they're the ones who stand out the most. But that's why they so embrace Trump because they hear in what he what he says, you know, make America great again. This represents a turning point for the people of this country. We are determined to take our country back. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. And when he attacks immigrants, right, when he makes these xenophobic comments, he's it's like a dog whistle for them. Yeah. Hail Trump. Hail our people. Hail victory. America was, until this past generation, a white country designed for ourselves and our posterity. It is our creation. It is our inheritance. And it belongs to us.
Oh, and they're hearing it loud and yep. clear. Yep. That that they um, think that that excuses their behavior is like you can't follow that idea to the extreme and say everything in our nature mm-hmm. is is right because it's in our nature. Like, oh, good, then we should have our kids through multiple wives because as as males we just want to go beep every right. We, we want to procreate. Yeah, we want to pro- procreate, and so it's in our nature. It's right. Mm-hmm. They would never go with that idea. So I mean, right. come on, people, get over that. So they they hate immigrants. They hate immigrants. They hate multiculturalism. They just absolutely disdain diversity because they look at it as an attack. This is is a country founded on European culture. Is the Western civilization we're talking about superior to the culture that these immigrants are bringing? Our leaders worship multiculturalism, so we encourage immigrants to reject our culture because all cultures are equal, except that they're not all equal. Maybe I don't want to live in a country that looks nothing like the country I grew up in. Is that bigoted? They look at that as like a liberal assault, right, yeah. on their on their tribe, their yeah. white tribe, their European heritage, because they're being infected with all these other races, right? Yeah. Oh, they're intermarrying with these other, you know, with, with Mexicans. They're intermarrying yeah. with blacks. Like, they're yeah. trying to dilute our blood. Right. Right. So scary. Do you, I mean, to me, it's shocking that in our country, just what, 50, 60 years ago, you were not allowed to mm-hmm. marry outside your race. That is, that's just crazy. I want to watch, is it a documentary? It's a movie coming up about the first interracial marriage, marriage that um, they had to fight for in court. Love, lovering, something like that. Um, and anyway. That I believe it's on Hulu and Netflix, actually. Okay. It's already out. Cool. I want to watch okay. it. Um, I want to go back to Trump. Yes. A lot of uh, liberals have tried to make the excuse, no, it wasn't race that got Trump elected. It's this um, Obama maybe are, is scaring um, white um, former Democrat voters. When he took, for instance, gay marriage too far, he took all these things too far. And it just scared people, um, the white working class, and now they want to dial it back. Ta-Nehisi Coates, a great writer, one of the foremost writers on race in America. He has views that are way too extreme for me. Um, uh, He, though, uh, wrote something that I totally agree with. He said, no, Trump was absolutely, if you take a look at the data, was absolutely voted in because of race. Mm -hmm. And man, was his argument strong. If you get rid of all the other factors, including uh, the one that I always assumed it was and still think is a huge part of why Trump was elected, which is education levels. Yeah. um, But race was paramount. It is. He is our racist president. He is. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. And so I think Trump is not telling people to be racist as much as he's tapping into and legitimizing racists. Yeah. And I think this, it, we've told ourselves this um, lie that, well, after the 60s, racism just went away. Yeah. No, it went subculture. It went below the radar. And instead of burning crosses and hanging nooses, right, all these racists wore suits, cleaned their, you know, they cleaned up their act, and they started proposing policies. Yeah. They created think tanks. They changed their language. Yep. So they no longer were overtly racist. It's like, well, you know, we have to reform welfare because we have all these young bucks and welfare queens. Yeah. Right? So they changed their wording. Yeah. But you know what? When they get together 
I would love to be a fly in the wall because mm-hmm. I think it all comes out. When, when, and I guess the word rednecks is, is a bad word to use, but so many times when I've been around rednecks mm-hmm. and they've thought that I was sort of part of them because I'm white and blue eyed, they, they just let their hair down. Yeah. And you, and it's like, holy smokes, mm-hmm. this is what they talk about. Yep. Yeah. And it's just like, now I know. And it's so uh, mealy-mouthed and and cowardly of them not just to come out and say really where they stand. I wish they were more brave. You know, if you have have racist tendencies, people out there, please don't hide it. Just don't be wuss and tell everyone so we know where you stand. So know where you stand. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. It's under President Obama and the Southern Poverty Law Center has done an amazing job keeping track of the number of hate groups that have just exploded yeah. under his presidency yeah. and the myth, the lie that he was born in Kenya to delegitimize his presidency and him as a human being yeah, and to portray him as like some kind of Manchurian who's out to destroy America. Yeah. He, it's all racist. He, Show his birth certificate. I, I think he probably... He because I have to, and everybody else has to, Whoopi. I want him to show his why? birth certificate. Why? There's something okay, on that birth not, certificate that he doesn't like. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a, yes. When you become a president, oh, he's not he's in America. Okay, you Whoopi, know that he's American. I'm saying that's BS. His presidency is absolutely built on race, and that, his first act of saying Obama's not a U.S. citizen was, mm-hmm. is, was the perfect Perfect and first example of that. He just continued. To me, the the he he's always walking that tightrope, you know. Oh, that's not a racist statement. Oh, that. But he where he screwed up, and the only time he really apologized because he realized it's a true racist statement was when he said a Mexican judge born in the United States yes. couldn't hear his case because he was Mexican. Mm-hmm. You know, everything up to then. A racist could have said, "See that—that's because you're a goofball liberal, uh, and you're construing it as racist." Right. Like even the uh, Mexico is sending raci- uh, rapists and murderers across the board. Even um, that could be explained away, but not when he—not right. um, when he wouldn't allow Gonzalez to to hear his case or didn't want it. Didn't want to. But I, just I would say this: so racism started to really grow. Like I, I shouldn't say racism. Well, maybe. But these groups became more and more enabled because they were reacting to an African-American in the White House. And now that there's Trump in the White House, they're, they are kind of laying their hair down publicly. And we yeah. saw that in Charlottesville. Yeah. They were walking down the streets with their f***ing Confederate flags and yeah. Nazi flags. Yeah. And what did Trump say about that? He equated them with the other side? The counter-protest. That in itself was shocking that he couldn't say that that... Mm-hmm. That group was worse than the protesters against them. Right. The protesters were, without a doubt, heroes mm-hmm. for protesting evil, yet Trump equated the two sides? Right. Trump said there were fine people yeah. on both sides. Yeah. I think there's blame on both sides. You look at you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides. And I have no doubt about it. And you don't have any doubt about it either. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. No, no, no. I'm See, sorry. that's him walking the tightrope, right? But to me, that's not a tightrope. To me, it's like, no, no, no. If you're in a group of people and suddenly, and you think you're a good person, and suddenly you look around and you're noticing, oh, all these people I'm with are carrying Nazi flags. Yeah. If you're a good person, if you're a fine person, you're going to say, f*** all you. You are not walking in that crowd if you're exactly. a good person. If you're, Absolutely. If you're not, you are the definition of a bad person. 
person. Yeah, and I you're agree. walking in that crowd. I agree. And so in the, in Charlottesville, I think was should have been an, a, a wake up call for America. Racism yeah. is alive. It's has been festering under the surface. And now it's coming through. And yeah. the Southern Poverty Law Center has been recording the number of hate crimes, attacks mm-hmm. on Jewish um, cemeteries, on t- uh, the temples. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I exploding. mean, just our own anecdotal evidence of seeing all the, the news pieces about things happening and, and racist uh, symbols being uh, written all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's obvious. But we're seeing, we're seeing it, too, in our, in our town and in our school districts. Yeah. All right. Let's go to our school district in our town. We are, what percentage of Hispanic are we in Santa Maria? Probably around 80%, would you say? Probably, yeah. Um, And, of course, it's a beautiful thing. And we love the Mexican culture. And um, lately, there has been a tendency, and I think this is coming from the far left, of of maybe going too far in um, saying that if you're not in uh, the Hispanic uh, culture or race, that you maybe are less able to teach Hispanics, which I completely disagree with, Mm -hmm. that you don't understand Hispanics, even though you and I both grew up in the community. Exactly. And, And this is a huge problem on the left. So let's go and talk about the excesses of the left now. So, and I understand the impulse to want to educate people on diversity. Yeah. But then, again, like we talk about all the time on here, it can go too far mm-hmm. to where now we have in our district, people are being invited to, to provide professional development. We're basically saying, look, you can't be a teacher effectively because you're white. Or they'll say that you're a less effective teacher because yes. you're white. Well, your kids are behaving badly because... You're white. Uh, you don't understand that. You don't understand right. that. Even though many of these teachers have worked in this district, you know, 20, 30 years. Right. And they know the kids. They know the culture. And, we, and you, as a Hispanic that doesn't necessarily really identify heavily with mm. the community, what do you think about that? I mean, you're lumping me in with the teachers that would agree with, with, the, with the far left. But, you, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it must be a funny situation. Well, for me, I, I, I would, my, based on my name alone, some people might say, well, then there you go. You have a better, closer connection to the students. I, I wouldn't say that I do because of my race. You are that way because you grew up in the... In, but even right. if you grew up in white, mm-hmm. Orange County, right. and you've come over, does that disqualify them? No. I mean, because... I it's the relationships you build with your students. Yeah. And this idea that that you are more of an expert maybe on human nature. Sure, you're more of an expert on the Hispanic culture because you grew up in the culture. But yeah. that is not something that you necessarily need to be a teacher. We want kids to be exposed to different ideas and different exactly. races and different cultures. So it could be a great thing. Now, right. to the extent that we... For instance, here's something that we learned learned in our, um, in our ethnic, um, what was that training that we got at the beginning of last year? Oh, I don't it's know. Like, so it was like racial or tolerance or sensitivity. Sensi- racial and in, uh, cultural sensitivity training. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree. Teachers in the past, and I am so sad that I'm in this group, have um, read students' names in class. Let's say it's um, Guillermo, and they have a hard time with it. And so, hey, can we just call you William? Oh. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. And, and you know what? When we get sensitivity training like that, which is super practical, mm-hmm. that's outstanding. Yes. I love that. And you know, what, what 
do cultures, for instance, the um, I think it's the Oaxacan community that is very hesitant to look you in the eye. Mm-hmm. That is such useful information, but that's not what we're getting. Right, right. You know, we're getting this, like, yeah, you need to be, um, you need to defer to people who know, right? No, right. no, we don't. We're experts. And just because we're not the right race, we're still experts at teaching these kids. But that becomes, that becomes racist. Right. It's like, well, you're that, white, so you're disqualified. Right. And we're hearing that more and more. And that's coming from the far left. That's coming from the left. Yep. And it's, again, this is one of those things where you can't either go too far left or too far right. Yep. You have to stick to that middle line. Yep. But um, I think part of it lies in the fact that for so long, white America has put down minorities. It absolutely it's, it's, does. It's blowback. Mm-hmm. It is. And it. And so I guess we shouldn't be so surprised that it's happening. Of course it's going to happen. It doesn't excuse it. No, it doesn't excuse it. Right. But And I think one thing that could go... Um, a long way towards helping this, resolving this, is to for white America to just admit, to acknowledge their white privilege. Absolutely. When you bring up this idea of white privilege, most, I think it's most, I hope that that's not an over-exaggeration, um, most white people are aghast and get immediately very defensive. Mm-hmm. But the idea that white people don't have privilege over minorities in this country is ridiculous. And people right. need to not be so defensive. White people need not to be defensive when they hear white right. privilege. So what, we are privileged. What uh, is white that? people are. So it's the unmerited, so I have the definition here. It's the unmerited benefiting of cultural and systemic advantages, right? And usually these advantages are invisible to the person who's receiving them. Right. Because it's the norm. Yeah, it's you think, normal. well, everyone's got that advantage. No. Right. So, for example, you know, you as a white American might not experience harassment by the police at the same level that someone else who's black does, right? Yeah. Driving while black. Yeah. Can I just quickly throw in an anecdote? I had... Went to college in Irvine, and in a very white part of Irvine, and um, he was a black guy. I loved him to death. He would, I think he got pulled over like nine or ten times wow. all four years of college and never got a ticket the entire time. And he was the most polite, and he had to be more polite. He told me, mm-hmm. I have to be more polite. I have to drive so much more carefully around here mm-hmm. because of my race. Do you think that white Americans, and I'm I don't know. That's I'm asking this question. Have to teach their children how to interact with the police? No, but blacks absolutely do. Right. Be respectful. Keep your hands on the wheel. Yeah. Right? Go the, so that you don't get shot. So yeah. they don't think you're reaching for your gun yeah. when in reality you're reaching for your wallet. Yeah. So there was that case where that kid in New York City was shot 80 times yeah. by the police because they told him, get out your wallet, let's see your identification. So he reaches for his wallet and it's just rain of bullets on this kid. And I'll bet they weren't prosecuted, by the way. No, not at all. Uh, and it's on video. It's uh, That's a whole different show. Yes. Yeah. I am so sad for people that have to worry, for African Americans especially, I think, that have to worry for their kids. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't have to deal with that. It's such a blessing, but I'm so sad for them. And, and that you, people think that that's not a thing are so naive and clueless. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've had this conversation. And it's like, well, I, I, I don't have white privilege because I grew up poor, right? Or I'm working class. So basically, they, people will hear white privilege and think, well, I'm not rich, right? Well, white privilege has nothing to do with your, your economic class. Right. It has to do with all the things you benefit from in terms of the culture or society and or just, the legal system. Yeah. 
and just right. being in the majority. Mm-hmm. I mean, for and instance, majority. yeah, you might benefit from being African when you're in South Africa and, and in the majority, although maybe not because of all the privileges white have had there. But that um, it's it just it, it you're not racist because you're uh, uh, you have privilege. Exactly. I think that's, that's what people think when they hear that. Oh, right. you're calling me racist. No, no. and just... people will deny up and down white privilege. Mm-hmm. Right. But think about it. So white privilege is not about being rich or successful, right? Because poor whites are victims, like minorities are, of a of an economic system that's rigged in favor of white men, basically, mm-hmm. right? But those poor whites have not experienced centuries of subjugation because of their race, right? Right? They're just victims of the economic system. Yeah. They're not victims of a system that's designed to keep them down. Yeah. Right. So when we look at the United States, the history of the United States is rooted in white supremacy. No doubt. And that might be that. a strong statement, but that, that that's so obvious true. though that people doubt that is shocking. And people will they'll deny it up and down. And you, you think about it. Go go back to the beginning. You had Europeans coming to this country, right, and eradicating the indigenous population, stealing the land from them, almost wiping them off the face of the earth. Stealing people from Africa. Bringing them here. Enslaving them without having to pay them and enriching themselves because of it. The idea also that their grandkids, Mm -hmm. riches don't confer to them, is laughable too. Of course Mm -hmm. riches confer many, many generations down the line because of white supremacy way back. Exactly. And then this white aristocratic class enslaved these people to make themselves rich to the extent that they were willing to fight a war of secession against the United States. What are you talking about? Their... It wasn't against African Americans. It was for states' rights. I hate that. That, that drives me crazy. That is gaining popularity too, and it's right. just shocking. People, they go read the letters. Bullshit. Go read the letters of secession by all these governors and mm-hmm. find out that the reason they were um, seceding was because of slavery. It has nothing to do exactly. with states' rights. Let's move on. I'm sorry for so, but then, so after slavery, then you, or I guess at the same time, you have white America believing they are manifestly destined by God to span the continent, stealing land, again, from the natives and from the indigenous people. And then once slavery was done away with constitutionally, then they enslaved these people through labor, right, mm-hmm. legally, created a whole system of Jim Crow laws to keep them oppressed. Mm-hmm. To create a whole system that was unequal and separate. Wouldn't allow them to buy houses, which is probably the main way we um, accrue um, wealth in our society Mm -hmm. through redlining laws. And it goes all the way through to civil rights. And they oppose civil rights. They oppose Martin Luther King vehemently. Wouldn't allow them to go to college, which is another way we accrue wealth. And then it, once civil rights was passed, then it became this, like I mentioned earlier, this nicer, cleaner mm-hmm. version of mm-hmm. racism, right? More Under polite racism. Yeah. But what, what do they do? Just look at Santa Maria and Orchid. They, white flight is a very real mm-hmm. thing. Whites mm-hmm. flee their communities, leaving minorities in poverty. And so you end up with de facto segregation, right? Not legalized. Yeah. 
but de facto. Mm-hmm. And then what do they do? They complain about immigrants. They complain about rising crime, quote unquote, rising crime. And then they complain about affirmative action. They can they complain about the you know the young bucks and the welfare queens, right, with their food stamps, on and on. And so the whole system from the beginning, from the get go, has been designed to promote the white America, white, but, especially white men. And there is such a strong opinion out there that racism is over and that blacks finally are in the clear, mm-hmm. but they're just not yet. There's, there's study after study, for instance, one that shows an African-American applying to a job. Um, these are fake applications with African-American names, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, of course, African-American names are quite distinctive. There's no way that that the person reviewing these applications could get it wrong. And you um, write the exact same application with everything the same except the name. Mm -hmm. And the African-American applications are rejected at much higher numbers than the white. That, to me, seems to be an objective case for that, that racism still exists. Of course, there's the old taxi in New York City um, study where you're an African-American man. You time them. How long does it take for them to get picked up versus um, a white person? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... It, the the justice system. There's two-tiered system of, of justice. Yep. If you're white Americans, they stop. They have drugs, whether it's marijuana or some kind of, what do you call it, the crack cocaine stuff, mm-hmm. they receive much less punitive consequences yep. versus the young, or the you know the African-American kid. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, like, with this opioid uh, um, epidemic right now, mm-hmm. and all these white people um, having all these difficulties, and mm-hmm. all the attention and government support right. being given to these people. Where mm-hmm. was that support during the crack epidemic of the exactly. 80s? You know? They don't care. They didn't care. Heck no. Well, it's these poor inner-city kids. Right. right. Who can, who gives a damn? Yep. Uh, you know, let's go to the other side again. Let's see how the left has overreacted. There's something called cultural appropriation mm. that boils my blood as somebody from Hawaii where every culture is appropriated right. in a good way. You can do it in a bad way, of course, but most appropriation of cultures to me is such a great thing. It just means, yeah, I love that culture. I, even to the extent where I think now, I guess that most people think it's bad to wear um, the costume of another culture mm-hmm. during Halloween. I ha- I think that's awesome. I don't get right. that. Um, for instance, there's uh, a Hawaiian, well, Moana we talked about earlier. Oh, there's a yeah. Hawaiian costume and Hawaiians were upset. And of course, it's not most Hawaiians. They said, yeah, this is awesome. But there's just a certain subset mm-hmm. who say, you can't wear a Hawaiian costume on Halloween. I don't get it. I mean, what is your take on that? I, I think I think it boils down to intent. Are you are you dressing in a Hawaiian style to make fun of or to mock Hawaiians? And most people who them? dress up in a Hawaiian costume on Halloween, do you mm-hmm. think that they're doing that to mock Hawaiians or because they love the, the movie? It might be because they love the movie. or And I think there are a lot of people who actually like that culture. Right, and yeah. And it's, it's done respectfully. So yeah. I think it's down. it boils down to intent. I completely agree. And since you can't look at the person and, and divine their intent, mm-hmm. I basically give them the benefit of the doubt. You should always give the benefit of the yeah. doubt, I think. Right. So I think, you know, recently um, in the news, Bruno Mars has been accused of cultural appropriation. Oh, yeah. So Bruno Mars has an interesting racial background as yeah. well. So his mother is Filipino. His father is half Puerto Rican, half Ashkenazi Jew, right? Jewish. And so... Did he not grow up in Hawaii or... And he grew up in Hawaii. Yeah, so he's so he has a very this multicultural background. 
Yes. And so, but he plays R&B, soul, hip hop, reggae. Mm -hmm. And there are these commentators who are saying, well, you're, you're culturally appropriating black music and you're using it for self-promotion, self-aggrandizement. No, I think you can borrow, you can um, take things, you can assimilate different things from cultures that you appreciate to make something worse. And, and the idea that I wouldn't be able to play blues on my guitar because that's African originally Mm -hmm. would just make me so sad. There's Um, there's this zero sum approach. Yeah, exactly. Which is ridiculous. Yep. And I think, if you do it in a way that's respectful and you give credit, give credit too. That's that's a big one. As, right. a, as a teacher, we we have our students write essays, mm-hmm. right? They mm-hmm. have to cite, yeah, the references. And we don't probably give credit enough to all these amazing blues um, originators, all the mm-hmm. jazz originators, all the originators of all these great art forms that are not white. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't, as um, a white person, pra- practice those things. So, like Elvis, for example, gets criticized probably rightly because he grew up in a culture that was black in the South mm-hmm. and he loved all this music yeah and he used it for his own wealth and gain and etc yeah. without giving credit without giving to the extent credit. that it should did he ever I don't know the, his, his I, history and I can't really say too much because yeah. I don't know his history either even though I love Elvis's music but it was very much yeah. a, a product of the culture he the african-american culture that he grew up in absolutely and so I but then you look at other things. I love Gwen Stefani. I love No Doubt. Mm-hmm. But she's been accused of that, too, because, you know, she's out there wearing, you know, the Indian dot or she's dressed like a Native American in a music video. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of use I, it for play, though. Yeah. When you're doing it for play like that, that's kind of walking the line. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I'm okay with it. I know that you might not be. We discussed this it's before. It's on the line. It's on know. the line, yeah. I don't think she's disrespecting them there. But dressing up just to dress up is sort of, yeah. For style purposes. For style purposes, right? It's, it's a trip. I, but I'm still okay with it. I would case. be okay. I would, again, I think it comes down to intent and it mm-hmm. comes down to um, giving them the benefit of a, of a doubt. Yeah. And also giving credit. Yeah. She probably, maybe she didn't as much I think as Gwen Savani loves cultures. Oh, she does. Totally. There's no doubt. Yeah. So you have to be careful. I think a white privilege, um, cultural appropriation, being careful. Not to take it to any extreme. Yeah, right? exactly. And I don't think people are telling white people that you're racist when you would when you talk about white privilege. It's more about please just be aware, recognize that you have lucky. these advantages. Yeah. In other words, think of white privilege as you're lucky to be white. You really are. And it's just it's the same way that I think of as being born in the United States. We're just lucky. Oh, totally. You know, if you're born white in the United States, you're doubly lucky. You just are. Definitely. So this conversation um, on race is really um, in-depth. So this will be the end of part one. And Joel and I are going to revisit this for part two um, in next week's episode. But this time I'll drink beer, so it might be uh, a little more, um, I don't know, edgy. That was just us on caffeine, so let's see how we are on alcohol. So as we as we wrap up this week, Joel, what are you listening to or what are you reading? What's going on? Uh, my son is a piano player. All my sons are piano players. and But my middle son just went to a jazz concert yesterday. And the performer after he his high school and all these other high schools performed was um, a sax player on the great jazz band called Snarky Puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, don't, uh, I hate saying this because I believe in, in just being able to like something by music by listening to it. But if you guys love YouTube, actually get into this group by by pulling up um, one of their YouTube videos, which are outstanding, and you really get a better sense of um, how tight they are and, and how many members are in their band. It's a huge ensemble and how much fun they play. But more than anything, on their amazing drummer, the, the guy just kicks butt. And you see how awesome he kicks butt on the video. That snarky puppy. Please go ahead and listen to them, but watch them on YouTube. Even better. Great jazz band. Nice. I love when you recommend um, music. And I'll incorporate music in here. Right on. Because... Ah, you just listen to so much great music. I'm pretty boring with my musical tastes. Um, this week, I'm going to talk about the movie Black Panther. Yes. I'm a huge Marvel fan. I love comics. I'm a nerd. I'm going to go watch it tonight. I'm sad that I haven't seen it yet, but we're too busy. I'm watching it at 2.30 today. Oh. Um, this is my second time watching it. Okay. We'll, we'll, I'm serious. We'll see you there if you're really going to. I'm going at 2.30. Okay. Is where? that where you're going? Are at the mall? The mall, yeah. All right. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. Chris and I will see you there. Oh, nice. We're going to we're gonna put you in the middle and hug you the whole time. <laughs> Please do, yeah. Reach, reach into my lap to eat some popcorn. <laughs> but um, it's so this movie is amazing for so many reasons, and it, it has earned over a billion dollars internationally at the box office. And it's it's an amazing story about this uh, black prince from a mythical country called Wakanda, and he is a reluctant hero because you know he's kind of an isolationist. He doesn't really want to interact with the international community. But after his father is killed in the recent um, Avengers movie, or no, actually Civil War, he then takes on the mantle of the Black Panther, right? And so in this movie, it deals with identity. Perfect for our episode. Which is perfect. And who are we, right? So he just assumes, well, I'm the son of the king, so I am therefore the king. I'm, you know, the Black Panther. But then he discovers that he has a cousin. Right, his uncle had a child in the United States, and his cousin then comes to Wakanda to claim the throne. And so it's this whole interesting dynamic of who are we really? Like, how does our culture, how does our past shape who we are? Right on. Brilliant movie. But one thing that I have to say that I really loved about this, and I watched Coco the other night, and it had a similar theme: honoring our past, honoring those who came before us. Right. And he goes. There's this process of communicating with his ancestors like he right he goes to what's called the ancestral plane and he talks to his father and he talks to love that the previous kings who were in his family right the other black panthers and that's similar to coco and the coco they go to the land of the dead right yeah and as i'll say this as a catholic we believe in the communion of saints mm -hmm. and so when people who came before us they die they really aren't dead and this mm -hmm. is one thing i i have this conversation with, with protestants you know in, in facebook on facebook or online or in person and there's this belief that, like, well, the dead are dead. Yeah. Why do you care about the dead? Yeah. Well, no. It, as Catholics, and this goes back to the early Christians, this goes back to our Jewish roots, the dead are not dead. Our God is not a God of the dead. Our God is the God of the living. Hmm. Right? So in, in our faith, we, we believe that when you die, you actually are more alive 
because you are with God. Mm. And so I really appreciate that dynamic of the film where honoring the people who came before you. Yeah. Remembering, because they are alive and they are looking down on us. Yeah. I love to hear that because Jose and I are actually surrounded by my ancestors in this room, and it's always a huge source of pride and and thoughtfulness when I sit with all my my great great grandparents and and my great grand um, great grandparents, and we are gonna, for instance, put a picture, a beautiful picture of my mother-in-law mm. um, in a prominent place in her house. But I, being a very, I guess, scientific uh, materialist in not the, the bad sense of the word, believe in our ancestors living through us in their ideas and in their love. The love mm. they give our parents that is transferred to us, that we keep on building on, and all these great um, ideas of humility, of grace, of um, bravery, of uh, everything we pass on to our own kids, it comes from our ancestors right. and, and is another really huge part of my life. And, and I just, I can't wait to see that play out in this movie. In Black Panther, he he's able to gain wisdom from those who came from before him. Awesome. And we I, don't do that enough in our modern world. We don't. And that's what I appreciated was there is a recognition of the dead who go before us yeah. are alive. They're aware of what we're doing and they're very much um, rooting for us. Awesome. I so love I, that I idea. Love that. Can't wait to see both those movies. Uh, too little time. Yes. That's all for this week, although we're going to continue the same topic next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week on our humble little podcast. You can do us a huge favor, though. Uh, Subscribe, please, to our show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or iTunes. And thank you to all of you guys who've already listened. It's so cool to hear your comments, and we hope you come on our show with with us. You know who you are. The people that have already talked to us, you're going to come on, please. And uh, be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find this show. So, yeah, please uh, rate our show and leave us a review. We actually did receive a review um, from Webhead770. He wrote, Awesome podcast that tackles important issues, songs, the absurdity of our current political climate. Thanks, guys. And I've had other people say similar things to us and about our podcast. And I just, I love that. I love that people are listening. We get about 100 listens yeah. each episode. That's and awesome. hopefully it's like reassuring to them that there are same people out there. Yes. Yeah, the insanity isn't everywhere. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, Conversations on Tap. That's the name of our awesome show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.